I want to I wanna bring a word this morning. Um, trying to wrap up a series, but when you wrap up something uh, regarding evangelism or, you know, this whole idea of going, we've been talking about this idea, okay, let's go. Um, it's never ending. You know, God is never going to stop asking you to go or to serve or to pour out or to minister in someone's life. Usually when we think we're done doing that, like that's our own idea. That's not God's idea. God set this plan into motion in the New Testament when he left this commission with the apostles and and all the leaders of the church then. And it's a continuation until Jesus comes back. You know, when Jesus comes back and then we're all in heaven, he'll be like, okay, we're good now. But until then, we all need to be on this mission. And uh, Matthew chapter 28, 18 to 20, here's our key text. It says, Jesus came and he told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey It's going to be a key word today. Obey all the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this. I'm with you always, even till the end of the age. I'm so glad we have a God that didn't just send us without him promising to be with us. Um, So let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you that as uh, we come and we open your word and we begin to see what you want to say. um, God, I just pray for a readiness of our hearts to to let you speak. God, you could speak in the next 25 minutes more than I ever could. And uh, so, Holy Spirit, we're relying on you. We're depending on you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. And I pray for the New England Patriots because every time I pray for somebody, they lose. And uh, I just can't stand to see them win anymore. Anyways, <laughs> so life with Jesus, I've said this a few times as we've gone through this, life with Jesus is not only about what we've been saved from, but actually it's a whole lot about what we've been saved for. There is a purpose, there is a call, there is a commissioning of God that comes in this verse, these verses, Matthew 28, we know them in church as the great commission, but it's like, you know, we've kind of treated it like the great option for us, whether we feel like it or not, but it's a great commission and it's a call of God, and when we realize that Jesus has saved us for something, we lean into the going aspect of it, and for some of us, this idea of going is just difficult because uh, you would rather stay home, you would rather be comfortable, you would rather stay warm. Um, You know, this morning, let's be honest, I would rather have stayed in bed than got up uh, and came late, hoping that the worship team was ready um, because I came late and, uh, you know, I was trying to avoid setup this morning. That's just confession time. I was just tired. Well, the worship team's like, man, I brought them cinnamon buns to make up for it. But as we go, or when we go, this is what God is asking us to do. And just a little bit of a recap, we've talked about a few things in this series. You know, we're called to make disciples or apprentices. Discipleship is a word that's kind of become something we don't know what to do with anymore. It's like 
Do I take a class? Do I sign up? Do I get a certificate at the end of it? I am a disciple. You know, should we start giving out I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ tattoos or something like that? You know, I don't know. But, but what it really could be better understood as is an apprentice. And as we go, we're to be learning and to be growing and to be growing to be more like Jesus. But we can actually lead other people to apprentice or become more like Jesus as we go. Paul said this, follow me as I follow Christ. Not as I do whatever I want, but as I follow Christ, as Christ is changing me, we can call other people to say, come and learn because we're following Jesus one step at a time and there's this apprenticeship model that we can go and if we're going to go into all the world, we should probably start with our world. It starts right here in Stony Plain, in Spruce Grove, in the West End of Edmonton. It starts at home with us. Jesus wants to work in the everyday, ordinary spaces of our lives. Sometimes we're looking for magnificent and miraculous and these amazing things that, uh, that God's going to do. And, and we miss the moments at times because he wants to work in the seemingly ordinary places of life. The seemingly ordinariness of our lives because we don't think we're that special. But yet Jesus, time and time again through the scriptures, showed the disciples as he went to the business district of the Sea of Galilee or to someone's wedding or in someone's home, he just started moving and working and calling people unto himself as he went. And if our lives are filled by the power of his presence and the Holy Spirit, we can pour out to others in the ordinary, everyday places of our life. But we also need to remember that Jesus knows what he's doing and sometimes it seems a little random and it seems a little chaotic and it seems kind of here, there, and everywhere. Ever found your walk with Jesus to be that way sometimes? You're like, Jesus, I don't know what you're doing and I hear you saying that I love you and trust me, but right now, the logical part of my brain wants to say, no, like do it this way, this way, this way. It would be far less stressful and a lot more efficient, Jesus, if you would just do things my way. How many have ever said that? I mean, I've been there. But Jesus, he takes us on this journey, and no matter where we end up and all the things that we go through, he is working, and he's moving, and he knows what he's doing. You see, in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9, it says, A man's mind plans his way as he journeys through life, but the Lord directs his steps and establishes them. So the truth is, is we can make plans, we can have knowledge about what Jesus wants to do in us and through us, we can uh, know that he wants us to go, we can hear all these messages that the pastor can come and we can yell and we can scream and we can say, let's go, let's get excited, let's do something great for God, and we have to realize that it all comes down to this one actual thing that needs to happen, and that's obedience to actually go. The obedience of our heart that when God calls us, when you're at Tim Hortons or when you're in the grocery store or you're at your job and, and a situation comes up and the Holy Spirit prompts you and God says, pray for that person. Tell them I love them. Take a step of faith. Will the obedience of our heart cause us to actually go? But we're fearful to go because we start asking these questions. Well, when I go or when I step up, what's going to happen? See, often we say, I don't want to go. I mean, uh, I would rather not go. Uh, one of my kids, I can't even remember which one now. Uh, that's how old I'm getting. Um, when they were younger, when they didn't want to do something, they would just lay down. And they'd be like, Dad, my legs are broken. <laughs> right? And I'm like, hmm. 
I probably said some parent thing. It's like, oh, I can show you what it means. No. <laughs> Shh. These things go online. No. But, Dad, I can't. My legs are broken. Well, we'll just walk to the car, buddy. No, my legs are broken. I'm too tired. I'm like, okay, let's go for ice cream. Oh, get up. Let's go, right? Like, right away. But, you know, do we do that with God ever? It's like, Jesus, I know you want me to do this, but, like, I just, I just don't want to. You know, like, I'd really rather not. And Jesus, I, I found myself doing this sometimes. I've been driving in my car, and I felt God be like, you know, stop and pray for someone. Or, you know, hey, you should go visit this person, or you should call this person. And I'm like, okay, hey, God, if I hit every green light for the next, like, ten lights, I'll know that was you and just not some random thought. Because I don't really want to pause my day to do what you're asking me to do, right? Like, it's kind of like, that's our whole, well, you know, like, it's not really convenient. Like, I don't know if I can do that. And, and so we get stuck in this, I don't want to go, because I think it's really about this. We start asking these questions. Well, if I go, God, are you actually going to show up? What if he doesn't? God, when I go, what's actually going to happen? What am I actually supposed to do? And I remember uh, when I was a really young youth pastor, I was probably my second year in ministry, and the guy that was the youth pastor before me, spiritual father to my wife and myself, uh, he was going to show the young guys how to evangelize and like just how bold he was. And one day we went with Pastor Jeff to Kingsway Mall, and we're having lunch. He says, okay, guys. He goes, None of us get to pick our lunch in the food court until we invite two people to church. I'm like, great, come on. And he's like, he's so determined that he's gonna beat us and he's gonna do it and he's gonna be more bold. So we have these, we had like touch cards back in the day which are like just like invitations to church. And, um, and, and so we go in and the first person he sees is like, hey, need a great church? This is a good one. I love you coming. The guy takes the card from him and my friend and I who are the uh, youth and uh, you know, discipleship school pastor, we're standing right behind him. The guy looks at me, he's like, the church is the scum of the earth. And he throws it down at him. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going so well already, right? And some of us think if we actually invite someone, that's the response we're going to get. And you might once in a while. But I watched as my leader just simply picked up the card. He said, hey, okay, God bless you. Went to the next lady and said, hey, you know, if you and your family ever need a great church or a place that will love you and your kids, why don't you come visit us? And she just says, oh, thank you so much. And just kept moving because sometimes we think the result is up to us, but no, we have to let the Holy Spirit work in people's lives and, and our call is to go. And we actually think, God, when I go, if I go, are you gonna put me in an awkward situation? Is it gonna end bad? Is it gonna be embarrassing for me? It might, but it might not. It might actually be the moment that God is calling you into to see someone's life change. And when you start going, you're going to start getting the, uh, the excitement and the drive to do the things that he's called us to do. You see, some of us, we just aren't sure how. Or we get confused on what it's going to look like. And it's like the thought, we have the same thought when it comes to building a piece of Ikea furniture. Oh, it looks so good in the store, but like... When you go and you get those 30 boxes and you're like, how is there 30 boxes? This is a bookshelf, right? And you're like, now, now you start opening them and assembling them. And like, you ever notice the guy is like a blob? Like, he's like this inconspicuous blob. It's not even like a real person. I'm like, 
well, if this blob can do it, surely I could build this thing. And then you do it backwards, or you put one in the wrong hole, and now you drilled out something that you're not supposed to drill out. Maybe that's just me. But like we do sometimes, we look at uh, our going as this whole thing where it's like, God, like I kind of got excited about it, and we saw a picture that God wants to do something, and we've been in church, and Jesus has uh, met us, and we've encountered him, and our hearts are excited. And then when we leave the parking lot, and we go home, and then we get to our workplace, and you're like, you look at your office, it's like, it's Ikea furniture. There's like 50 people, God. How am I supposed to speak to all of them and help them? And like, what if I say the wrong thing to the wrong person and that one yells at me or this person already doesn't like me? Can I just tell you, let the Holy Spirit lead you one step at a time and it doesn't have to be overwhelming and he wants to do something as we go. You see, when Jesus went through the towns and through the villages, as he went and when he went and as he sent workers out, he didn't send them out without a plan. He sent them out with a purpose, and he sent them out with a plan. And, and can I tell you, the plan of Jesus, it was very simple. It was very straightforward. Uh, it, it says this in Luke chapter 10, verse 2 to 3. It says, these were his instructions to them. And, and it's kind of funny because they don't really sound like instructions. He says, the harvest is great, but the workers are through, are, are few. Some workers are through. They get so tired. Some people are doing 80% of the work and then they, they quit on us and they quit volunteering because we should all help out. Anyways, sorry, side note. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So this is his instruction. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now go. These are his instructions. Jesus says, hey, just so you know, when you start doing this, you're going to realize like you're outnumbered and not many people are doing this. So pray that I send more workers into the harvest. Now you go. Matthew 9.38 says, As you go, plead with the owner of the harvest to thrust out many more reapers to harvest his grain. Can I tell you this? When we go, we are the answer to our own prayer. Like, Have you ever thought about that? Jesus is like, Pray for more workers to go into the harvest field because people are ready to hear about me. They're ready to receive me. And then he says, so pray that I would send more workers. And then the very next line, he says, now you go. So it's like the minute I'm saying, Jesus, would you change my city? Would you help my neighbor? Would you move in my workplace? And we start praying prayers like that. I think the next thing Jesus says to us when he said, thank you, God, for doing this. Amen. You can open your eyes, and then you hear the Holy Spirit saying, okay, now go do your job. He's like, you prayed for yourself. We are the answer to the prayer, and we are the plan to develop and make more disciples and apprentice people and lead them to Jesus as we follow him one step at a time. So this morning what I want to do is I just want to leave us with three keys to help us. Three keys that are going to help us when we go. Okay, you guys ready to go? Turn, turn to your neighbor and say, let's go. And if you don't want to, just close your mouth and don't be negative. I don't know. <laughs> just let's. <laughs> Holy Spirit, help us. The first key is this. When you go. When I go, we must learn to embrace the beautiful interruptions that want to happen in life. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 18 to 22, we see the story where Jesus uh, is going 
to a man's house and it says this, as Jesus was saying this, the leader of a synagogue came and knelt before him and he said, my daughter has just died, he said, but you can bring her back to life again and if you would just come and you would lay her hands on her. So Jesus and his disciples and got up and they went with him. But just then, a woman who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding came up behind him, and she touched the fringe of his robe, for she thought, if I could just touch his robe, I will be healed. So Jesus turned around, and the Gospel of Mark, it says this, his disciples said to them, look at this crowd pressing you all around you. So how can you ask who touched me? But he kept looking around to see who had done it. You see, when we go... Sometimes the things that we think are simply interrupting us in our busyness, in our moving forward of life, are actually beautiful interruptions that God wants to use to minister to people all along the way. See, when you go, when I go, we must learn to embrace the beautiful interruptions. Here, Jesus is a busy man. Jesus is going from town to town. He's healing the sick. He's preaching. He's doing all these things. And Jesus is taking the time. He's taking the time to go to a man's house who daughter, whose daughter has just died. And he needs to go comfort them and minister to them. And he's going to raise her from the dead. And on, on his way there, he stops... Because this woman grabs at his robe and pulls on the hem of his clothes as he's walking through a crowd, and it says, Jesus turned around. See, very often in life, when, when we're going about our busyness, when the crowds are pressing us, we're more like the disciples. We, we get into these moments, and we're like, I'm busy. i got to pick my kids up. i got to drive them here. i got to go there. i got this practice. I have this to do for my job. I'm trying to create my own YouTube channel, whatever you do. We're, we're busy. we got pressures. we got stresses. There's things pressing us all around. And it's this picture like Jesus moving throughout the crowds and everyone's pressing against him. And, and he says, somebody touched me. I need to stop. I need to find this person. I need to know what's going on. And there was an awareness in Jesus that just says, power's gone out for me. Or God wants to do something right now in this moment. And Jesus, in the midst of the pressures and the busyness, it says he turns around. And I would like us to ask ourselves this question. When was the last time we turned from our busyness, from our schedules, from our plans? Because God brought a beautiful interruption into our life that actually will become more life-giving if we would actually step into the ministry and the call of what Jesus wants to do in that moment. You see, he was on his way to heal a little girl who was dying or dead already. And it says, Jesus turned around. Now, I mean, if I'm Jairus, this is who they're talking about, if I'm this synagogue leader, I'd kind of be like, whoa, Jesus, like, come on, seriously? Like, we're stopping? Kind of in a hurry here, kind of trying to get somewhere. But Jesus says, no, this is important too. And he stops, and, and I want to challenge us this morning that when we go, we need to be ready to embrace the beautiful interruptions that come from time to time in our life. Sometimes someone will become a friend or someone who you actually lead to Jesus because you stopped and you turned and you took the time to take a few minutes that you normally wouldn't take when Jesus is leading you, when the Holy Spirit is leading you, you might be busy, you might be pressed on every side, but there will be something in your heart, in your spirit that says this is a moment to stop.
This is a moment to turn around and embrace what I'm about to do. It's powerful when these things happen. It's powerful when sometimes we just take these moments. I've been in situations where you don't think anything of it. I, I just, you know, stop and it's like, hey, I just really feel I should pray with you. Can I pray with you? And someone just like breaks down crying. Because in their heart and their mind, everything that they're going through, they don't know what to do with it. And nobody will listen and they don't get it. And all of a sudden that moment, that embracing of a moment, doesn't mean you have to walk through something with them and, and, and counsel them through everything that's going on. Sometimes it's just that moment of saying, I care and God cares, and it changes people's lives. So when we go, we must learn to embrace the beautiful interruptions, and we need to ask ourselves a question. Will we be ready to stop? Will we turn from the important things we are doing when we go if the Holy Spirit asks us to turn? The second key this morning is this. I think as we go and when we go, we need to remember that compassion will call us to those who need Jesus. In Luke chapter 7, there was another story. Everything that Jesus did randomly, seemingly happened as he went from town to town. And so in Luke chapter 7, it says this. It says, soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain. And a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out and approached the village gates. And the young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. So when the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. And then Jesus said the most insensitive thing to a woman who's grieving the loss of her only living relative. Don't cry, he said. <laughs> like, can you imagine? That's like me rolling into a funeral and be like, guys, don't cry. Like, don't Don't worry. He says, don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin, or the beer in some translations is what it was called, a stretcher, and he touched it, and the bearer stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up, and he began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. You see, compassion will call us to those who need Jesus. And in Jesus' day and age, uh, compassion was not the thing that people saw God as being. But Jesus, the Son of God, the very embodiment of God, chose to model compassion when it came to people rather than an authoritative, uh, apathetic response towards people. You see, there was a group of people emerging in this time called the Stoics. And the Stoics, with their philosophy and their understanding, they thought God's greatest attribute was apathy, that God's greatest attribute was to transcend feeling and emotion, and that's what made him God. That's what made him to be above and better than everyone else, that he could supersede emotion or he could supersede all of the feelings and that's how he could rule fairly and evenly and justly. And their view of God said God is a distant God. He's an apathetic God. He isn't moved by emotions like humans are. And yet Jesus comes into the earth, God in the flesh, and he flips the script. And what does Jesus do? It says everywhere he went, he had compassion on people. He healed their sick and he touched many. And so when we get to understand the God that is leading us when we go and as we go, compassion will be the thing that calls us to people who need Jesus. You see, Jesus' compassion was deeper than just a pat on the back and a here, here. So when Jesus steps into this situation and he tells the woman, why do you weep or don't cry or stop weeping, 
It's not because he lacks compassion, but he was actually in his compassion going to do something for her that was greater than any empathetic move of, uh, of, of grace or compassion that anyone in that crowd had already given her. You see, this widow had no one else to take care of her. With her only son passing away, this was the end of the line for her. No relatives, no money, no future, no ability to work, no worth in that society. And so when there was a great crowd of people mourning with her saying, that's too bad, I don't know what to do, I feel for her, pat on the back, sympathy tears, here's a tissue. Jesus comes in and Jesus moved with his compassion says, I have to do something about this. And so what Jesus does is he actually goes to the woman. He says, don't cry. Don't weep. It's going to be okay. And you're going to see the compassion of a God who loves you go beyond your dead situation. And I'm going to move in this situation. And he touches the coffin and the boy sits up and he gives him back to his mother. And all of a sudden, the compassion of God went deeper than a sentiment and a prayer at a funeral. It went into the moment where a widow who had no future had a future brought back to her because the grace of God touched her life and gave her what she could not do on her own. And compassion is going to start calling us to people who need Jesus. And sometimes we're going to realize in those moments that we need him more than ever to give us the same grace and compassion that Jesus had. Because compassion will cause you to have to do some things at times you never thought you would do. You see, it says he touched the coffin. In Jesus' day, that would defile him for who knows how long. He risked defilement. It was actually illegal for him to, as a Nazarite to, to touch a dead body. But Jesus says the love of God is so much greater than this situation that I could touch and people could think something wrong of me. I need to get involved. And sometimes in our lives, God is going to call us to a level of compassion that not everyone will understand. But our job when we go is to be led to the people that Jesus loves and say, let me walk beside you. Let me help you up. Let me walk you closer to Jesus. Let me bring you into a life that you didn't know that you could ever have. The grace and compassion of Jesus compels us. It's going to lead us to sometimes be in places where we're like, wow, this is kind of a weird situation, but thank you, God, that you're moving. And I'm here and I'm available and I'm able to be involved. Because it's very easy to be in church and to feel like I can't go there. I can't associate with that person. I can't have a relationship with them because I might be defiled. Now, let me preface this. If you struggle with something, an addiction, things like that, probably don't hang around with people that are struggling and doing all those things. Like, until there's a freedom in God and there's a, a, a grace and, and, a, and a way to walk... You need, to, you need to watch yourself and keep surrounding yourself and bringing yourself closer to Jesus. But for some of us, we've like, we wouldn't even understand what it is to, to you know, be in that situation. And, and, and so our, our, our clean North American Christian mind says, how could you do that? If you would just fix this or you would just do this and you would do that. Just throw all those things out the window and just realize that I don't know how I would react if I got dealt those cards in life or I had to go what they went through and just put on the compassion of Jesus and just start loving people where they're at and that's gonna make people see who Jesus really is. 
because we're so often wrapped up in this, well, if you would just. Those phrases and sentiments don't help people. The grace and compassion of Jesus does. But be careful, because when it's going back into something you've struggled with, you must make sure you have people around you and support as well, because it's not always wise. But what I want us to understand is when we go, we have an opportunity to embrace the beautiful interruptions. Compassion's going to start calling us to these people that Jesus needs us to minister to and people that need Jesus. But as the band comes up, I want to give you the last key for when we go, and that's this. When we go, we need to see people as Jesus sees people. We need to see Jesus, people as Jesus sees people. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 23, it says, When Jesus arrived at the official's home, he saw the noisy crowd. He heard the funeral music. So get out, he told them. The girl isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him, and after the crowd was put outside or moved out of the room, however, Jesus went in, and he took the girl by the hand, and she stood up. Church, when we go... My question for us this morning is, is, do we see people as Jesus sees people? Turn to your neighbor and say, I see dead people. <laughs> They'll say it in an even creepier verse. I see dead people. Because when we look at the world, and when we see dead, lost, broken people, you're right. But Jesus sees differently. You see, sometimes we have to remind ourselves because... As we go about our busyness and our day-to-day -day lives, we see people everywhere we go and we think nothing of it. And I would ask you to remember what state are they in without the grace and life of God? They're spiritually dead. They're lost. They need the life of God. So the truth is, yes, we do see dead people. But guess what? Jesus used this phrase twice. Jesus raised three people from the dead that we know of in the New Testament. And in two of those three situations, he says, they're not dead, they're only asleep. And what I would venture to say to us this morning, that if we're gonna see as Jesus sees when we go, yes, we see the world as they are. Yes, we see a lost and broken and dying humanity without Jesus. But do we really see what Jesus sees? Jesus sees those that can be taken by the hand, that can have the life of God and the grace of God and the, the, the breath of salvation breathed into them. And he says they're only sleeping and somebody just needs to go and wake them up. Someone needs to wake them up. You see, when we see dead people, it's not too late. But often we think it is. We start seeing people and we put them in boxes and we say they'll never get saved and they'll never experience the grace of God or they'll never be free from that addiction or that pain or that bitterness. But when we start seeing as Jesus sees, we start seeing people that are merely sleeping in their sin, merely sleeping in their darkness, and they need a voice to call them to wake up and to see the life of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we laugh because, like Jesus said about the little girl, it's like, guys, she's not dead. She's only asleep. It says the crowd laughed. <laughs> and I'll be honest with you, there's been moments where, whether we've seen things in the media or we've seen it in our homes and in our lives, and someone says to us, God's going to do a work in that person. 
we've laughed. We're like, that'll be the day. Like if that happens, I'll really believe God. We'll start believing God because he's waking people up. He's bringing them back to life. When we go, God is gonna start doing things that we never thought possible. So we gotta be ready to embrace these beautiful interruptions. We need to let compassion call us to those that need Jesus so desperately and learn to live our lives out of that grace and out of that compassion. But we need to start praying a prayer more desperate than ever. Jesus, help me see people the way you see them. Because I realize they're dead and they're lost and they're hurting and they're broken. But Jesus, what do you see in them? And I hear the voice of Jesus. I hear the Holy Spirit saying, they're only asleep. They're only asleep. And like he told Ezekiel, speak to the bones. Speak to the, the muscles, the tissue. Speak to the wind. Speak to the breath of God to come over their life. Speak the grace of God into them. Speak the life of God into them. We're going to wake them up. So when we go... We're going to believe that the city of Stony Plain and Spruce Grove and Edmonton is going to experiencing an awakening that they've never seen before. Not because we're so great, but because we start seeing as Jesus sees and we start hearing his voice and we start stepping into situations where Jesus said, would you go and would you wake them up? Would you help them open their eyes to see that there is a life in Jesus beyond anything they could ever hope for or imagine?